I am Nicholas Bornos of Capital Inc. and I would like to welcome you to uh, this uh, panel session. This panel is going to focus on London as a source of capital to global shipping. As we all know, the, global, the London Stock Exchange is a source of capital uh, globally for companies around the world. So we are going to examine how now this applies to shipping given the renewed activity of uh, companies raising capital uh, in uh, London. Uh, this session is comprised first of a presentation that uh, will be given by Axel Kalinowski, the head of Central and Southern Europe of the London Stock Exchange. And by the way, I'd like to thank the London Stock Exchange for their support and cooperation, putting this event together for 13 years in a row. So thank you, Axel, and thank you, Tom. Uh, and then, uh, after Axel's presentation, we will proceed with a panel discussion on the topic. And uh, Diana Suzio, the partner from Hill Dickinson, is going to moderate it and introduce the panelists. And with that, I would like to welcome you all again and turn it over to Axel for his presentation. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, <clears throat> and a warm welcome uh, to all of you who managed to join us uh, today on behalf of London Stock Exchange. It's really a great pleasure to be able to sort of kick off London International Shipping Week with this event um, sort of today. Tom, uh, my colleague who will be on the panel as well in a, in a moment, and I had an honor <clears throat> to host a, a London International Shipping Week delegation at London Stock Exchange to open trading off London uh, just this morning. So it was actually good to be able to shake hands. Um, uh, the UK sort of um, Minister for Transport, for instance, was, was part of this delegation. So it's, it's a great week and it's a great day today and we are very sort of honored to work with our friends at Capital Link to really bring together um, two worlds, the world of global financial markets and the world of um, shipping and maritime. So um, it's also from a personal uh, sort of experience, it's interesting to see as, as Nicholas outlined, we've been doing this now for 13 years, so it's in interesting, exciting to see the transition of the event itself from a physical event hosted at the London Stock Exchange, growing all, all the way to now being a, an international fully digital event, um, given the times that we're, that we're in. Still, we hope that maybe next year uh, we'll be able to shake hands and, and meet also face to face. The sector itself, shipping and maritime, is of course very close to the London Stock Exchange. Um, firstly, because it's at the heart of the origin story of the London Stock Exchange, so 300 years ago, um, the first companies to raise money were shipping companies. Um, but also, secondly, I think we uh, both um, financial markets like London markets um, and, and the maritime and shipping industry at very unique points in time. Um, I think both, for instance, shared a great year this year. When we look at, look at the Clarkson Index, it's at the highest level it's been since 2008. The first half of 2021 has been the strongest uh, year in the last 13 years. And the same is actually true for, for London capital markets. So fast 2020 was a record year in terms of um, uh, amount of equity raised on our markets. It's the strongest year in, in seven years. And also the first half of this year, um, I'm delighted to say it's been incredibly strong, the strongest year for us in the last seven years, 76 IPOs um, year to date. I mean, the summer has been very busy, for instance, 25 IPOs just in July just to give you a number. So both sectors are, and places are doing extremely, extremely well. And I think the other commonality that we share is that, um, you know, both, both um, sort of worlds are, are worlds of new opportunities, really. Um, for instance, from our point of view, UK capital markets are undergoing an upgrade. So 
um, so there is a process going on right now which will make it even easier for companies to list in the future, whether it's around free float requirements, i.e. as a ship owner or, or uh, management team, you, you need to sell less of the company to actually come to the market. Or another, for instance, important factor, being able to retain greater voting power and more say in terms of how you run the business. So there will be increased flexibility across those elements and, and as well as many, many other elements. So there's the important changes taking place, which I think make UK capital markets even more attractive in the future. And of course, there are the big themes of innovation and sustainability, which are at the core of, of, of our hearts at London Stock Exchange, but also transcend um, both financial and maritime sort of industries. Uh, particularly the space of green finance is a space where, where London is a global leader. So where, where we are putting a lot of effort in resources, whether it's around transition bonds, sustainability bonds, whether it's about um, ESG ratings, whether it's about giving higher profile to companies that are innovating um, and, and connecting them to investors. So these are things that are very, very close to our hearts. And, and I see a lot of opportunity for us shaping the future together. So as such, please consider myself, Tom, and our team here at London Stock Exchange always to be sort of at your service and available to explore opportunities that exist. So with that being said, allow me to just very briefly um, share with you a short presentation. Um, I hope the sharing will work. And, and just to highlight in, uh, some, some points in terms of what's been happening from a capital markets perspective. Um, just very briefly, um, so London Stock Exchange is, uh, um, as I said, it's no longer just a an, an building in London, but it's actually um, a global institution um, today. So we have 25,000 employees. We undertook a merger earlier this year with Refinity, which is one of the largest data companies, financial data companies in, in the world. And you can see we're now a truly international institution. We're in 70 countries in the world. Actually, half of our sort of employees are based in Asia, for instance, and 30% and, uh, in the UK and the US. So it's a, a, true, a truly global financial infrastructure business, just to give you a little bit of background. From a capital markets perspective, um, it's been a tremendously active year, as I already touched on before. So London is, um, by a significant margin, the largest market outside the sort of China and the US in terms of equity having been raised. So here you have a screenshot of what's been happening, for instance, in the European landscape. You can see that, uh, um, you know, uh, a, lo a lot of equity and money, so 45, over $45 billion have been raised in London just this year. You, so you see the importance that London plays in this space. Um, also wanted to give you a quick snap, snapshot of what, what actually the London Stock Exchange looks like. So we have close to 2,000 companies listed on our markets currently. Um, and what's interesting to note is that it's not just a market for big companies. So when you look at the bar chart at the bottom left, you can see the distribution based on sort of company size. So you can see that, for instance, uh, in a market cap bracket of 100 to 500 million, we have over 500 companies. So there's often the notion that capital markets are only for companies that are very, very large in scale. And of course, there are, we have those listed as well. But London in particular is quite unique international on an international level in that it has a very deep ecosystem around companies that are sort of still mid-sized businesses and likewise for small-sized businesses, as you can see in the very first bar, which sort of um, represents businesses um, with a market cap up to 50 million. 
So that means you can start to look and consider capital markets at quite an early stage. I think that's something um, um, that, that, that is often overlooked. So capital markets, particularly London capital markets, are not just for large companies. This year in particular has been sort of um, shaped by a lot of deal activity, potentially, uh, particularly in the technology space. So um, pretty much half of, of deal activity came from very innovative, fast-growing businesses. So I think that's also a theme that will more and more transcend the maritime sector. Um, and then the, the other sort of activity comes really cross-sectional, including um, the shipping space. So we'll hear on one of the panelists um, um, has actually raised money this year. So it'll be interesting to hear firsthand from them what it's been like. Um, what's been happening in the shipping, shipping sector on, on global capital markets? So here a little overview of the last few years. I think what's, what's notable to see is that 2020, so last year, the pandemic year, has actually been a record year in terms of equity being raised. So that further underlines the role, that importance of, of the role that capital markets play. So I think the big um, sort of very complementary piece of capital markets is that during challenging times, institutional investors are really there to, to support companies and provide this ongoing sort of access to capital that might not always sort of be the case on the debt or the bank finance side that sort of when times get more challenging, usually, um, you know, debt finance starts to dry up. So on the equity side, usually these are sort of, uh, there's record levels of activity. So we've seen this in other sectors as well. Airlines, for instance, have been very busy raising money just to get through this space. And it's not always just um, sort of money that is being raised for crisis reasons. There's also money being raised for opportunities. And you will be very well aware of this, of this particularly in the shipping space where sort of um, secondhand vessel values last year were sort of um, at a much lower level than where they are this year. So would you have raised money last year? I think you, there was a lot of value to, to take. Um, so, so this also represents an opportunity. And 2021 is also looking very, very strong, as you can see, sort of, we are not at the end of the year yet, but we expect sort of um, a, a, very, a sort of fairly strong sort of 2021 as well. So the signs are positive. Here, uh, just um, the biggest IPOs that sort of take, taken place since 2017, um, you can see Terra Maritime, we'll hear from them in a, mo in a moment, who raised very successfully in what sort of was, was a lockdown period, very substantial amounts of, of capital, and even came back to raise further capital um, um, sort of, uh, to acquire seed uh, vessels for the portfolio. Um, and, and it's done so very, very successful, so very impressive. Um, but you can see also that generally activity is quite international. So you can see activity in Australia, in China, etc. What's interesting to see is you will see none of the top 10 deals since 2017 actually uh, were raised in the US. So that's that's quite an interesting point um, to note. Um, as I touched on, um, capital markets are about permanent access to capital. So likewise, you can see what's been happening in London since 2017. So a lot of regular um, issuance. So Tufton, who we also honored to have on the panel in a moment, for instance, have come back regularly to the market, and I think over five times um, over the last uh, few years. So tremendous, uh, tremendous success. And uh, yeah, just to um, you be aware of this, uh, London ship shipping sort of ecosystem goes beyond capital markets and finance. I mean, we have the who is who of the sort of international maritime industry um, sort of placed in London. So from that point of view, it's, uh, London is, is really a great place to sort of meet people and connect and raise funds. 
so here just an overview of some of the companies that are listed on our markets. So various, uh, various uh, market segments. Um, so so and we expect uh, more activity to come um, in this space as well. And uh, yeah, with that, um, we'll hear from Taylor Maritime in a moment. Um, you can see the share prices performed very well, well, and they just listed in May just a few months ago. So the share price is up, uh, I think, 35%, something like that. Um, and also Tufton, which has been sort of a repeat um, issuer, um, raising five times money since IPO on top of the IPO. So with that in mind, please don't hesitate to get in touch, here some contact details. And yeah, I hand over to our uh, panel. Thank you very much. Axel, thank you very, very much for this uh, great uh, introductory presentation. Now I would kindly invite uh, everybody to uh, join us for the panel discussion that is going to be uh, led by Diana uh, Suziu of uh, Hill Dickinson. So I'd like to thank um, again uh, the London Stock Exchange, Hill Dickinson, uh, Paolo, Ed, uh, and uh, Nick for their support and participation. So I turn it over to uh, Diana. Good morning, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. I am Diana Suziu and a partner in the London International Corporate and Commercial Team of Hill Dickinson. Although traditionally a maritime law firm, Hill Dickinson corporate team is unique in its position in bringing the traditional marine, the corporate marine, and also the capital markets under one roof. Our teams were visionary five years ago when we watched the market trends carefully and we spotted the opportunities of the international shipping companies going global in their financing and the capital markets, and therefore the in-house capability was inevitable and the obvious expansion. And we are now very proud to say that we are one of the very few international law firms with global capabilities in all the three sectors, marine, corporate marine and capital markets across all of the main shipping hubs. And that would be London, Athens, Singapore and Hong Kong. I'm very pleased today to be joined by a very esteemed panel, which I'd like to very briefly introduce. We are joined by Mr. Nick Stone, who's the financial director of Bramer Shipping Services PLC, a leading international ship broker and provider of expert advice in shipping investment, chartering, risk management and logistics services, and has been listed on the London Stock Exchange for over 24 years. Bramer is a veteran successful in the LSE and riding through 2008 financial crisis and the global pandemic, 12 years on, showing resilience and success to go hand in hand. We're also joined by Mr. Tom Attenborough, the Head of International Business Development, Primary Markets of the London Stock Exchange, as the London's flagship venue for equity, debt and traded products, offering businesses access to Europe's most liquid pool of capital. And this includes AIM, which is the world's leading market for small and growing companies. LSE has proven to be standing by companies in robust policies and support through difficult times and the good times and the UK investors alike by bridging the relationship between the two in an international vibrant market, which instills confidence and security for each investor. In his role, Tom advises UK international companies and their owners on the process of going public and life as a listed company on the London markets. We're also joined by Mr. Edward Butler, CEO of Taylor Maritime Investments, which albeit a newly established internally managed investment company on the premium segment and traded on the main market of the LSE, it has the benefit of a highly experienced management team, which includes the founders of the dry bulk carrier International Heavyweight, 
Pacific Basin Shipping, a company listed in the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and gas shipping company BW Epicosa, formerly known as Epic Shipping, listed in Oslo. However, with the two shipping hubs under esteem, the addition of London listing increased Taylor Maritime's global profile substantially, leading to a successful oversubscribed placing in July 2021, raising an astonishing $75 million. And finally, we're also joined by Mr. Paolo Almeida, who is the Chief Investment Officer of Tufton Investment Management, which is the investment manager of Tufton Oceanic Assets Limited, a fund that invests in a diverse portfolio of secondhand commercial seagoing vessels with the aim of delivering strong cash flow and capital gains to its investors. Thankful to its successful management team, Tufton Oceanic Assets have raised a total of gross $277 million, very impressive, through its initial public offering on the special ink fund segment on the LSE, followed by a remarkable subsequent placing and offers in 2018 and 2019, and two tap issues in 2021. In addition, Tafton manages an additional $1 billion in shipping investments for its private funds. Ladies and gentlemen, London has seen a boom in listings and a rise in the number of companies looking to list or dual list in the main segment, standard market, and the alternative investment market, both under the umbrella of the LSC. The tendency and perception in the marine market is to approach Norway or the US stock exchanges, whereas our current panelists today will show you differently that there is a third alternative, and that third alternative is London. London has an established prime reputation on brokerage, finance, insurance, and management. However, when the question arises on listing, there is always often a lack of knowledge or even understanding on accessibility of the UK market. The LSE and the UK investors in shipping and the transportation sector. And the panelists here today will address some of these issues and skepticism through their insight and expertise in the sector firsthand. I'd like to offer a few questions to our panelists today for the benefit of the audience and for everyone alike attending this wonderful event today. Um, starting off, perhaps with Mr. Edward. Um, I'd like to ask the panelists today as to what it is their experience in listing in the London Stock Exchange. What was the incentive or the attraction to the London market for your company? Thanks, shall I, uh, I'll kick off. Morning, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, Castle Link. So um, obviously, with a huge amount of listings in New York, we were looking for a, um, an exchange where, which fitted in with our corporate profile. And when it came to uh, corporate governance, we felt the London Stock Exchange presented some of the highest uh, levels of corporate governance that we could find. And that being very important uh, and increasingly important uh, uh, in shipping businesses being looking at listing, we felt the, that uh, the London Stock Exchange premium segment was the best place for us to be. Um, it also, you know, had a lack of um, shipping IPOs other than Tufton in the last decade or so, even, even further back. Um, and that allowed us to talk to what is a very sophisticated, uh, high quality investor base to talk to them about shipping without them having uh, the same sort of experiences that some of the New York investors have had. So uh, it, it was almost a sort of a clean slate type uh, discussion we had with a lot of the investors. Um, which which helped us get our, our story across. Uh, and then thirdly, of course, uh, ESG 
is a huge part of what we have always been doing at Taylor Maritime, and that's become very important, especially with London investors. So um, corporate governance, uh, a lack of previous shipping flotations allowed us to tell our story the way we wanted it to be told, um, and uh, ESG. Thank you, Edward. That is fantastic and very impressive. Um, and I'd like to uh, pass on the floor to Mr. Paolo Almeida, please, to give us his views on how Tufton feels with the listing and then the experience of listing in the London Stock Exchange. Yeah, uh, th thank you. Thank you, uh, Diana. Um, you know, when, I, when I moved to London in, um, in 1999, um, uh, a few people asked me, or many people asked me, you know, what, what, why moving to London? Well, uh, one reason clearly is that it's a, it's a shipping hub, and um, Axel already touched on that. And the other is, you know, you move to where the money is. And, you know, London, as Axel, um, you know, very uh, thoughtfully went through, uh, London is, you know, undoubtedly the second most important um, financial market in the world, pretty close second uh, to, to New York. And it's also the European headquarters for just about every um, non-European non, um, uh, investor. There is a, as Axel also pointed out, there is a very large segment of companies that are between 100 and 500 million pounds. And especially so, there is a fairly long history of alternative uh, investment funds of that size. So London has been a major uh, market for raising money for the infrastructure sector first, um, also became fairly important in um, aircraft leasing. Um, and although those sectors are also um, present in the US, um, in, in London, you can use a fund uh, format as opposed to a corporate format, which suit, you know, suited Tufton extremely well since we're a fund manager. It suited uh, Taylor Maritime um, very well. And you actually get, um, once you're over, say, 200 million, um, we're clearly much larger than that now, but once you get to about $200 million in market cap, you do get a, a quite a good following. The, the other thing that we liked about the market is that there is a, a, a history of um, uh, investors who follow you know, what, I call, what I call a quasi-endowment model. So they sort of run themselves like a family office or like a university endowment where they have highly diverse uh, portfolios. Um, where they may only invest 20-30% in, in traditional listed equities or gold or um, fixed income, but then have exposure to a lot of alternative segments like shipping and some of those other segments I mentioned before. So that made it you know, the perfect venue um, for bringing to market um, a shipping fund at the end of 2017. Fantastic. That's another success story, um, of course. And I'd like to turn now to our veteran panelist, um, Brahma Shipping Services PLC, um, to Nick. Nick, obviously you have been in the LSE for over 24 years now. And I would just like to um, share, well, I'd like you to, to share your experience on how it is to continue to be listed on the London Stock Exchange. Um, Brahma has, as we said, has ridden through a global crisis in 2008. And 12 years on, we also had the backdrop of the global pandemic. And just wanted to take your views on it, on continuing to be listing on the London Stock Exchange and the support around it and the incentive to the investors. 
And thank you, Diana, and morning, everybody. Um, uh, it, certainly from Braemar's point of view, having been uh, listed for a, a long time now, uh, we haven't actually raised any capital in recent years. But what, what we've certainly found in the, in the last two or three years is that the, uh, the shipping industry is starting to be a focus of some of the smaller cap investors that we tend to attract, attract being at the sort of left-hand end of, uh, of the chart that Axel put up. Um, so, and, and, and a bit like uh, Paolo was just alluding to now, um, the, these non-specialist investors are seeing the, the shipping market as a sector that they should be uh, looking at more carefully than perhaps they would have done 10 years ago. And therefore, we've certainly seen a renewed interest in our business um, as we come through the pa pa pandemic and as we're looking to expand in, in, in future years. The, um, uh, the other fact that we see is that it's not just London investors, actually, who, who show an interest, that we've in, interest for investors from other regions and other sectors, um, which, which just, uh, I think, illustrates to us that um, as, as we remain a, uh, a premium listed London company, that access to capital is, is very ready, readily available. Thank you, Nick. And actually, I'd like to build up on that. Um, obviously, with ten, 10 years on, um, with the um, onset of the global crisis, and of course, we all know that shipping goes through cycles. Would you say, from your perspective and your experience, wearing the very many hats, you know, as a broker and investor and being listed in the London Stock Exchange, that actually the shipping cycles have turned more into stable investments and therefore being more secure investors? for our future investors now on the platform and um, in the future listings on the London Stock Exchange. What would be your view on that? Um, so I, I think it's very hard to, uh, to, to, to call um, uh, the fact that there won't be cyclicality in the future. Um, certainly what we've focused in our business recently is to make sure across the various shipping subsectors that we work in, and whether that's tankers or sale and purchase or, or the dry bulk market, that we are diversified sufficiently that as those markets move quite often against each other, um, our business has some level of diversity to, uh, to, to shelter investors from those movements. Um, and certainly we see, you know, um, at, at the moment, and I'm, I'm sure other colleagues on the panel see the same thing, um, a, a, a view that the markets are in a strong uh, position for, uh, for the next few years. Um, but, you know, we, we mustn't underestimate the need for us to do what we can in our businesses um, to, to both communicate and, and keep our investors uh, abreast of the, the various movements in the market. That's right. I agree with that. And actually, I'd like to ask Paolo's and Edward's views um, on that as to how they do address their own investors' queries when they do their own roadshows and they have those open discussions um, as to how do they address and us, you know, reassure their investors that shipping is a safe investment um, for floating companies. Paolo, Ed, can I have your views on that, please? Well, um, I think it all comes down to structure of investments and investment strategy. And, you know, Ed, Ed will talk about this as well. Um, uh, we have a diverse portfolio across the three main uh, segments of shipping. I think that's maybe one, one of the few areas 
where we are different from um, um, uh, from Taylor. Um, you know, what we both offer is a fairly predictable dividend, which is something that traditionally, um, if you look at what the much smaller universe of shipping companies that were in the market up until sort of 2003, 2004, 2005, when we had IPO booms on the back of um, China growth, um, many shipping companies had diverse portfolios. They tended to have low leverage and they paid dividends. Um, and therefore you had um, uh, long-term value-driven large institutions like Fidelity, um, like Wellington, um, Capital, um, in the U.S. that were, you know, had large positions in most shipping companies. And some of those are uh, investors of, of both um, of both Tufton Ship, as we call our fund, um, um, and, uh, and Taylor. Um, I think what we've seen is that the U.S. market now has moved a bit towards seeing the advantages of uh, low leverage and dividends. Almost all the U.S. listed companies are talking about that. Um, you know, but anyone uh, on this panel remembers that a lot of them um, got into trouble by not doing uh, those things um, uh, in the two. I think it's all about having the right structure to match what investors um, are looking for. You know, as you know, there's this great British phrase, horses for courses. Um, we think that's the right structure for the London market, for the, um, the investors who are following this sort of quasi endowment, um, highly. A diversified investment um, uh, portfolio. And you can't completely take the, the cyclicality um, out of shipping, but you can invest in it very responsibly through um, sensible capital structures, paying a dividend, having some diversity. Um, and also, and we'll come back to that later, of course, um, uh, very strong ESG principles. Absolutely. Um, Edward, would you like to add anything to that? Sure. Um, because yeah. obviously you wear too many hats, you know, spread across the globe. Um, how would you be speaking to your investors to address exactly those type of concerns? I think everything Paolo said is absolutely right. You know, I, I definitely don't believe that shipping cycles have gone away. The underlying asset is cyclical. Ship owners have short memories. As we've seen the container market, you've got an order book pushing 30% already. We've just come out of a 10-year depression and already people are ordering left, right and centre. I don't think cycles necessarily change, but the, the, the return profile to the investors can be managed more um, actively or in a slightly different way that, that creates a more stable uh, income for the investor. So capital structure is super important. Um, and in order to, as a manager, in order to... Uh, create that stability, you need to make sure you're buying cheap assets and you need to make sure you're not over leveraged. And that's why London is, is a fantastic place to raise money because you don't have investors who are used to huge amounts of leverage and are chasing 30, 40% IRRs like you might see in the States. Um, so having, having serious control over when you buy assets um, and having real control over how much leverage you put on those assets is what's going to take out the volatility for investors or at least improve it relative to what we see historically. Um, shipping, especially if you're in the right segments and you're looking at necessity goods like Taylor Maritime, we carry predominantly food on our ships, or you might be carrying uh, chemical products that have a very stable demand sort of profile. You're in a position where you can fix longer term contracts and that gives you visibility of earnings and therefore dividend coverage and um, income coverage. 
And, and that's a really important part of what we do at Taylor and what Paolo is doing at, at Tufton. Um, so a slightly type, different type of investor was super important. Pension funds, insurance companies, family offices, they're not necessarily pushing you to leverage up and, and aim for those 30, 40% IRRs. They're very happy with your dividend policy if it's high single figures. Um, and so if your timing's right, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to um, ad infinitum pay those sorts of numbers uh, on dividends. Um, obviously, we have a heavy focus on, on the handy size segment at the moment. Um, as I said, we focus on necessity goods where the demand is pretty stable. So what we tend to focus on is when we buy and what we buy and how much debt we have on them. And, we're, and at the moment, we're, we have a very, very low um, amount of debt and, and a very high level of, um, of dividend coverage. So that's it. My two cents. Thank you, Ed. It's quite clear that all of our three panelists are working really, really hard to make sure that their businesses are stable and they're aiming for the long-term return. So basically not going in for the short aggressive type of return within their investment. And I think this is where probably, as you said, the UK market is more different for, rather than from the aggressive US market that want to do things quick, quick, quick. Um, and at, at the back of that, um, Tom, I'd like to take um, the LSE's view on that as to what it is the LSE is doing to support these very hardworking managers that we've got here on the panel and all of the other shipping companies listed on the London Stock Exchange to make sure that the volatility of the shipping cycles does not affect their investment and the LSE is there to support them, um, not just the listing companies, but the UK investors alike. Uh, thanks, Diana. Well, rather... Um, as Edward and Paolo have both said, I'm not sure anything we do is going to remove cyclicality um, in, in the sector. But I think what we can do as an exchange is try and make uh, the London market as attractive as possible and work with the broader ecosystem to uh, encourage more companies to, to come and list here. Uh, and that's going to be partly what we do as an exchange, partly what the rest of the advisory community, be they you know, banks, lawyers, accountants, PR, the whole advisory ecosystem uh, do. And it's partly about the regulatory structure that exists uh, you know, on market. Um, I think Axel touched on it. We have um, a listing regime in London that is by and large 30 plus years old uh, that has served us very well uh, over the years. And I think one of London's um, you know, real outstanding advantages is that its government's regime, disclosure regime is, is uh, seen as very balanced and fair and held by investors in, in high esteem. But what I do think is that, of course, um, post-Brexit, it's given everyone the opportunity to take a step back and say, looking forward, how can we make our market even more competitive, even more attractive on what is an increasingly global um, stage? I mean, in the shipping sector, of course, it's always been a global um, industry, but I think that um, is even more true uh, today than ever before and, and across other sectors as well. So th there are a variety of... Um, consultations ongoing at the moment um, uh, within government. Uh, one uh, with the Financial Conduct Authority um, on the broader listing regime, one on prospectus contents uh, that sits within HM Treasury, another with HM Treasury on, on wholesale markets, which I think if you look at all of that put together, the direction of travel the London market is taking, I think it'll going forward give um, uh, giving shipping businesses even more flexibility to look to tap the London market, not just through the type of fund structures that both Edward and Paolo have used, but for family-owned, founder-led businesses 
you know, things like free float coming down from the 25% fixed uh, mark on the main markets down to uh, 10% uh, is in the consultation. Uh, things like allowing um, dual class share structures on the premium segment, allowing founders and owners to have that little bit more control. I think these are things that going forward um, without um, impacting uh, and sort of holding below the waterline, if you like, um, investors' expectations in the market. But we can make through the regulatory change, and we're feeding into that, of course, um, London even more, make London even more attractive for issuers going forward. So I think it's a combination of all of those factors. It is indeed. I, I agree. And thank you, Tom. And I think that kind of brings us nicely to what it is the main theme and the crucial topic of this um, year's London International Shipping Week, which is the environmental social governance. We all support and we all work extremely hard with our stakeholders, our clients, to do right by our present actions for our future generations. We will definitely be judged upon our actions today. And shipping has often been viewed as the guilty participator affecting the environment. And therefore shipping has actually um, um, stepped up to the challenge and they have driven very important initiatives um, such as the Poseidon principles, the IMO 2020 regulations, all the various activities and the decarbonization as mentioned in the, in the previous panel. Um, I'd like to know from the panelists, um, particularly um, from Paolo, from Nick and from Ed, as to how have such initiatives affected the strategy and the approach to the investors in operating and or promoting environmentally compliant business policies. It will definitely be one of the main requirements. And I would like to know from the panelists as to um, whether that has made um, the roadshows more difficult or it has come to a higher cost. Uh, what kind of challenges um, have they encountered in the process? Thanks. Shall I, I, yes, sorry, Ed, yes, no, yes, please. So, I mean, ESG, if we start with sort of the environmental side, um, a lot of young managers, you know, in, the environment is not just something that you're box checking for your investors anymore. It's something that at home, at our children's schools has become a huge part of uh, life. My children ask us not to go on airplanes for holidays now. They do uh, plastic free campaigns at their schools as well. Uh, we're about to go uh, plastic free in terms of bottled water on all of our ships. We're installing water filters. You know, these are these are small, low hanging fruit that's easy to easy to easy to do quickly, and you just need a team ready to get on with it. Um, so, from an environmental point of view, it's it's a way of life now for a lot of my peers. Um, it's something that was easy to bring to the table. You know, it's we have a responsibility now as managers who hopefully will be in this industry for the rest of our lives. Uh, this is our responsibility and our chance to really do something different. Um, and there's a lot of stuff out there we can all do quite easily that makes a big difference in a cumulative manner. Um, and Taylor Maritime's committed to that. Our corporate clothing is going to be biodegradable and sustainably sourced from now on. Small things, easy to do. You've got to focus on them and have a team of guys willing to do them. Um, on a higher level, Taylor Maritime is obviously looking at biofuels, um, upgrades to engines, things like that. I don't think we're going to come up one day with a solution like a silver bullet that solves all of our problems. I just don't think shipping's in a position right now to do that, although a lot of the headlines talk about um, hydrogen and ammonia, and that will come. But in the meantime, there's a huge amount we can all do by upgrading old technology with a little bit of investment, putting our heads together, that makes a big difference. 
And that was a hugely important part of our fundraising um, uh, pitch. And it was very important to our investors. On a social governance point of view, you know, it's the timing of COVID uh, really brings that under the spotlight, taking care of your crew. There's been a lot of crew that have had a really, really rough few years and um, spending the extra money to make sure they get home to their families, um, spending the time to make sure their families are taken care of, they have the emotional support they need because they're, they're, the husband might be away at sea for much more than they had expected. Um, helping out at home with regards to making sure the kids are going to school or the right schools or get the right support. We've, we've been heavily involved in a lot of that, as well as some fantastic charities out there that we are involved with. From the governance point of view, also very important uh, with our investors, uh, our management teams invested um, about $20 million uh, alongside uh, the investors in the IPO. Um, we are continuing to invest at, uh, at every opportunity where we have a bit of spare cash um, and really show that the alignment uh, created is not only uh, in existence, but it's full alignment. So we've took, taken away all sale and purchase commissions. We don't charge performance fees. Um, we give as much transparency as possible. And so the advantage or the opportunity to Paolo and myself now is that for 10 years, there have been some negative press about corporate governance and uh, the sort of public-private structures within shipping. Um, co uh, conflicts are going to exist in every business, in every market, all over the world forever. It's what we do with those conflicts and how we manage those conflicts that make us good managers or opaque managers. And at Taylor Maritime, we've just, we've admitted and shown fully that we have a bit of private side. We've got a bit of public side. We, we offered our private management businesses for free at the IPO. It created a huge amount of confusion, um, but we, we, uh, we operate a pretty transparent structure um, and we have uh, safeguards in place to make sure that those uh, conflicts are dealt with properly. And that's also why the advantage of the LSE trust structure is, is uh, interesting to me because we have a majority independent board. They check everything. Our, my chairman even asks me what type of lube oil we choose and where we source it. I mean, that's unusual for a chairman to do, but Nick Lickidopoulou is one of those chairmen. He goes right down into the detail and we encourage him to get involved on that level of detail because it just means that we know that we are fully aligned uh, and everything's totally transparent. So, so environment at home and bring that into the office. Uh, alignment, transparency of your conflicts, because you can't avoid having, you can't have no conflicts, um, and taking care of crew and stakeholders in the business, both onshore and at sea. That's an impressive um, a chain of actions, positive actions, really tangible, really practical, none of which sound difficult for any one of us. They don't need to be just in the shipping. But as you say, um, Ed, it's not something that's going to change overnight. Um, and Rome certainly wasn't built in a day. But if we all play our part bit by bit, then we will obviously make the positive change and not take it for granted. Um, Paolo, did you find the same type of experience through your roadshows um, and questions raised by the investors, really? Well, uh, clearly, uh, ESG, is, as we've all talked about, is, you know, is very important. Um, but at Tufton, we come at, we come at it from a slightly different angle in that you know we did not adopt ESG policies in order to be able to list on the London Stock Exchange. We've been doing this for nearly ten years because um, we have been managing money for very large, sophisticated 
pension funds. So a lot of this, we've been doing five, seven, 10 years. Um, we've been doing uh, all of the stuff that, that, um, that Ed mentioned, the crew uh, rotation crisis of last year, which unfortunately has come back now because of the new outbreaks of the Delta virus. We've had a lot of problems with seafarers from Philippines and India, of course, where there are local, you know, local, local breakouts. Um, last summer, and, and we, you know, we reported on this um, publicly in terms of what our statistics were versus the industry uh, overall. Last summer, especially, and into, into early autumn, we went to great expense, um, and in some cases, even had conflicts with our charterers um, in order to get crew um, you know, crew that, that was past uh, rotation dates off of vessels. So we deviated vessels. We, we in many cases, put the ships off hire because um, it was the right thing to do. Um, it wasn't huge amounts of money, uh, of course, but it was, it was pretty significant. Um, what we then found after that was then the charterers actually, um, after some period, some were better than others, but eventually they all partook in it. And in some cases, even, even took most uh, of those costs as opposed to just sharing them with us. That's, that's been um, um, a, a very big issue. Um, on environmental, um, we're doing some of, this, some of the things that, um, that Ed mentioned. We're investing in all of our vessels, not only in the listed company, but in our private funds as well. We'll expect by early next year to have invested about a million dollars uh, per vessel in a third of our fleet. So that's about 30 ships uh, in, in total uh, in order to save about 10% on average um, fuel, fuel efficiency and emissions um, on those. And the best part of all is those, those investments are, are actually quite accretive. Um, you're, you're saving money for your charterer. You're reducing the carbon footprint for your charterers. So if you're dealing with the right counterparties, they're quite happy to pay their share of that. So those, those investments um, um, are very, very good ones to make. Two, you know, two, two other things. Um, we actually have had um, for a bit over five years now, we've, we've um, seriously limited the amount of thermal coal that our vessels, um, that our vessels carry. Uh, we have some uh, charter parties on bulkers where coal is actually prohibited. Um, and in many other cases, what we just do is we focus on charterers who are less likely to carry coal. So our vessels overall carry less than 5%, the bulkers that is, um, clearly for the fleet overall, it's much less. Our bulkers tend to carry less than 5% uh, thermal coal. In some quarters, it's, um, uh, it's zero. And the other thing that we're doing now, and we'll, we'll at some point do it in the listed fund, and we're, we're starting to do it in our um, uh, private funds, is to start investing in ships today that are truly uh, zero carbon capable. So vessels that are dual fuel um, uh, in the short term um, and that over time, whether it's five years, 10 years, 15 years, but certainly long before 2050, um, will be running uh, a very significant part of our fleet uh, on zero carbon fuels. And we've been doing some biofuel uh, testing, testing already. And ESG is only going to get even more and more um, important for investors. Um, I think what the IMO has done so far, that's not the focus of this discussion, um, is very good um, in that it's trying to regulate um, overall. But I think we'll all agree as well that the IMO has to get much more 
uh, ambitions and its, and, its, and its targets. I think we'll probably see some of that before the end of the year. And Tufton is committed to being far ahead of what we think the future uh, IMO targets are. Thank you, Paolo. It's actually not that we ever had any doubts about this, but just to address any pragmatism or skepticism really towards um, ship operators, ship owners or ship managers as a whole, it is actually quite heartwarming to listen to practical examples of what Tufton and Taylor Maritime Investments, for example, are doing to really address the ESG issue and all the initiative um, across the shipping industry and the transportation industry as a whole. Um, I'm very aware of the fact that we've only got a couple of minutes left, and I just wanted to touch one last question with Tom, please, if possible. Um, dual listing companies in the London Stock Exchange, um, there are, it's, it's an amazing statistic, 500 companies out of 2,000 listed companies at any given time in the London Stock Exchange are listed elsewhere. So clearly, they want to tap into the London capital as well as to the um, other main, um, well, finance hubs. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that could be seen as an alternative of how to tap into the London market. Um, and what does the London Stock Exchange do to promote that, particularly in, in the context of shipping companies? Uh, thanks, Diana. Yes, look, very briefly, um, uh, London has always been a very international market. Um, you know, nearly 40% of companies listed in London are you know, uh, non-UK businesses. So there's always been a very international feel for it. Uh, nearly a quarter of all of our uh, companies are, are dual listed. We try and make sure the connectivity between London and other markets works as smoothly as possible. So where companies do want to try and maximize access to investors in more than one geography, uh, cross-border settlement works as efficiently as possible uh, to make sure that it's a, it's a good experience for investors who want to trade across, across multiple markets. So even... Uh, companies, for example, in mature um, substantial markets such as the US, uh, Canada, Australia, have looked to put London listings in place to really try and broaden out their access into the European uh, time zone investor base through, through London and certainly happy to pick that up with anyone who is already listed elsewhere um, who wants to add a London listing or consider adding a London listing and, and what it might bring to their business. Um, but but as, uh, as you said, Diana, very conscious of the time, but maybe that's a, a topic for another day. That's right. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, uh, my esteemed panel. Um, and I had plenty more questions actually on the list to ask, but I'm very conscious of the time. But if anyone would like to follow up with any um, of the matters that our panelists um, addressed here today, all the details are actually on the Capital Link um, forum platform. And no doubt um, Nicholas and Eleni will do a tremendous job um, to share the contact list for everyone. But thank you for today. It's been a pleasure being the moderator of this esteemed panel. Thank you from my side as well, uh, Diana, very well done. And thank you to all of you. It's been um, a very, very interesting panel. And uh, I wish you uh, a great rest of the week. And I look forward next time to do it uh, in person. And again, thank, thank you, you very much. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. You can tell when we talk about money, it's always a very popular, uh, <laughs> a very popular uh, panel. So thank you very much to everybody. Bye-bye.